now come to Prime Minister's questions. Let us start with Chris Law. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr. Speaker, can I start by paying tribute to the Clerk of the House, Sir John Benger, and thank him for his many years of distinguished service? Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Chris Law. Mr. Speaker, the wealth of billionaires has skyrocketed over the past decade, whilst average working households in the UK have the lowest living standards since the 1950s. Whilst hard-working families are struggling to make ends meet, the wealthy are playing by a different set of rules, with reports even that members of the House of Lords are trying to exploit the non-dom status loophole to avoid paying their fair share. So does the Prime Minister agree that whether you are the wife of the most powerful man in the country or the host of The Apprentice, no billionaire should qualify for special tax treatment while my constituents face soaring levels of inequality and poverty. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, the, the facts tell a very different story to what the Honourable Gentleman said. Uh, he mentioned inequality. Inequality today is lower than it was in 2010. He, he, mentioned, he mentioned the number. He mentioned the number of people in, in poverty, Mr. Speaker. Again, I'm pleased to say there are 1.7 million fewer people in poverty today than 2010, including many in Scotland. But, Mr. Speaker, of course we understand that things are challenging right now with the cost of living, which is why we've put in place record support to help families, particularly with their energy bills, and particular for the most vulnerable in our society, with record amounts of cost of living payments going to millions across the country, including in Scotland, showing the power of the United Kingdom government. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thanks to this Conservative government, we have the opportunity to be the first country in the world to end new cases of HIV by 2030. And this is partially down to our world-leading opt-out HIV testing programme rolled out in very high-prevalence areas. But to reach this goal and make this progress, we must roll out opt-out testing to other high-prevalence areas like in the West Midlands, which includes my constituency of West Bromwich East. So will the Prime Minister commit to meeting with me and the incredible Terence Higgins Trust to hear more about the merits of opt-out testing? Prime Minister. Well, can I thank my honourable friend for raising this important issue and indeed thank her for her work in this area. We remain absolutely committed to ending new HIV transmissions within England by 2030. And I'm pleased that she highlighted that the provisional data from NHS England indicates that the opt-out testing programme has been highly successful. DHSE is currently evaluating the impact of the programme with a view to deciding whether it should be expanded in additional areas, and I know Ministers will keep her and the House updated. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his words about the Clerk of the House? Mr Speaker, I pay tribute to the police who tracked down the escaped terror suspect from Wandsworth Prison last week. Despite being charged with terrorism and despite being a flight risk, he was not held in a Category A prison. Why not? Mr Speaker, I'd like to thank the police and their partners for their efforts to find and arrest Daniel Khalif. There is now an ongoing legal process that must be allowed to take its course. But I'd like to reassure the public that while these cases are extremely rare, the Justice Secretary has launched an internal investigation about how this could happen, as well as an independent investigation of the incident, so that we can learn the lessons from this case and make sure that it never happens again. 
The truth is they're presiding over mayhem in the criminal justice system. Only a few short months ago, Zara Alina's family said ministers had, and this is their words, blood on their hands after probation failures that led to her murder. So it beggars belief that we're back here once again. The Chief Inspector of Prisons said conditions in Wandsworth are so bad it should be shut down. The Chancellor is telling anyone who will listen that he raised concerns months ago. Probation, school buildings, now prisons. Why does the Prime Minister keep ignoring the warnings until it's too late? Mr. Mr. Speaker, the honourable gentleman, who, with his background, should know better that it, because of the because of the uh, he should, because of the wide variety because of the because of the wide variety and considerable difference in severity of, of people charged under that act, it is not and has never been the policy that they are all held in Category A prisons. Something that I shouldn't need me to point out to him, given his experience. But he talked about resourcing. I am happy to tell him that. Over the last few years, we have delivered an extra 4,000 new prison officers. Staffing levels at Wandsworth in particular are up by 25% in the past six years. And because we're boosting prison pay, we're also improving retention and at the same time investing £100 million to improve prison security with new measures like X-ray body scanners. But if he wanted to have a truly honest debate about this, perhaps he'd acknowledge that prison escapes under the Labour government were almost ten times higher than under the Conservatives. I did say last week, and it will continue this week. Who wants to start this session by leaving? Please do so. I'm happy to help you on your way. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, every week, whatever the topic, he paints this picture as if everything is great and fine out there. It's so at odds with the lived experience in the real world. Let me turn to another serious security concern. Some in this House face sanction, intimidation and threats from the Chinese state. When I asked the Prime Minister on Monday whether the Foreign Secretary raised the specific issue of the alleged spy arrested in March when he visited China a few weeks ago, the Prime Minister would only say that he raised that type of activity, but avoided specifics. So I asked the Prime Minister again, did the Foreign Secretary raise this specific case when he visited China, yes or no? Mr Speaker, I refer to my previous answer, where I said very clearly that the the Foreign Secretary raised these issues with the the Chinese Foreign Minister who he met, as did I when I had my meeting with Premier Li over the weekend. But when it comes to China, Mr Speaker, this government has put in place the most robust policy that has existed ever in our country's foreign policy. It is to protect our country, to protect our country for the values and the interests that we stand up for. It is to align our approach with our closest allies, including those in the G7 and the Five Eyes, and is to engage where it makes sense, either to advance our interests or, as I did at the weekend, to raise our very significant concerns. That is the right approach to China. It is one that is welcomed by each and every single one of our allies, and I'd be interested to know what he thinks that he would do differently. Well, that certainly wasn't a yes. And what he says now is totally at odds with the Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee report of July this year. That set out that the government has no clear strategy when it comes to China, 
has failed to support the intelligence agencies and is leaving the UK severely handicapped in managing our future security. This has been raised time and time again, but yet again the Prime Minister fails to heed the warnings and is now desperately playing catch-up. So will he finally commit to the full audit of UK-China relations, which so many in this House have so long demanded. Mr Speaker, as always, the Leader of the Opposition is just playing catch-up and hasn't caught up with the reality of what's actually happening. He talks about the ISC report. Again, if he actually went through it, he would realise that it related to a period of investigations which was in 2019 and 2020. Since then, Mr Speaker, we have launched a whole new integrated review refresh of our China strategy. It's published. We've put in place a range of new measures, including, for example, the National Security Protective Agency, which is supporting, which is staffed out of MI5, supporting businesses and organisations and being alert to the risk from cyber and, and from China. But if he wants to talk about foreign policy, Mr Speaker, he should perhaps reflect on his own record, because this was the man who said he was 100 per cent behind the former Labour leader, a person who wanted to abolish the army, scrap Trident and withdraw from NATO. It's clear what he did. He put his own political interests ahead of Britain's. Mr Speaker, probation, prison, schools, China, yet again inaction man, fails to heed the warnings and then blames everyone else for the consequences. Mr Speaker, on Sunday, the Home Secretary celebrated her first anniversary in post. That is, if you overlook the six days she missed when she was deemed a national security risk. In that year, 40,000 people have crossed the Channel on a small boat, and the taxpayer is now spending £6 million a day on hotel bills. He's failing to stop terrorists strolling out of prison, failing to guard Britain against hostile actors. He's completely failing to stop the boats. How can anyone trust him to protect the country? Mr. Mr. Speaker, he, he talks about trust. He talks about action. Just today, this government is taking action to reform defective EU laws to unlock over 100,000 homes, boosting our economy, supporting jobs, and ensuring that we can realise the aspirations of homeowners. Now, he tried, he talks about trust. He tried in this House to talk the talk on house building. But at the first sign of a cheap political hit, what did he do? He's caved in, Mr. Speaker. Rather than make the right long-term decisions for the country, he's taken the easy way out. It is typical of the principles-free, conviction-free type of leadership that he offers. Flip-flopping from being a builder to a blocker, Mr Speaker, the British public can't trust a word he says. Mr Speaker, every week he comes here protesting that nothing's his fault, trying to convince anyone who's still listening that everything is great. The truth is, the floor fell in for millions of families because of their economic mayhem. The classroom ceilings collapsed because he cut vital school budgets. And now the walls of our national security have been breached because they've ignored repeated warnings. No one voted for these shambles. No one voted for him. So how much more damage do the British public have to put up with before he finally finds the stomach to give them a say? Yeah. 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 
Mr. Speaker, we are, we are getting on for the British public just in the last week announcing a new landmark deal for British scientists, attracting £600 million of new investment for our world-leading auto industry and wages now rising at the fastest rate on record, Mr Speaker. And where has he been this week? Locked away with Labour's union paymasters, promising to give them more power and scrap the laws that protect British families and their access to public services. It's clear it's only the Conservatives that are on the side of the hard-working British public. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Last week, with Yorkshire colleagues, I met with our local integrated care board to discuss plans for improving dentistry provision. But when surgeries suddenly closed to NHS patients without notice, as one in Harrogate did very recently, an immediate strain is put on local provision. Will the Prime Minister look at what can be done in these circumstances to ensure that no one is left, no one is left without access to an NHS dentist? Prime Minister. Well, my uh, my honourable friend is, is absolutely right to raise this, and we will look into this issue. He'll, he'll be reassured no, we're investing £3 billion a year into dentistry. There is no geographical restriction on which dental practice a patient may attend, and practices should keep all their records up to date, including whether they are accepting new patients. And typically, where a practice ends a contract, NHS England and ICBs should work together to ensure that that funding is reallocated and patients continue to have access to NHS dental care. SNP leader Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, as someone who spends more money heating their swimming pool than the total value of the UK state pension, I think it's safe to say that the Prime Minister might not be as invested in this topic as some others. But let's afford him the opportunity to clear up any confusion. Will he commit his party, the Conservative Party, to maintaining the state pension triple lock beyond the next general election? Yes or no? Prime Minister. Oh, Mr. Mr Speaker, this is the party that introduced the triple lock. Mr. Speaker. This is the party that has delivered a £3,000 increase in the state pension since 2010. It's also the parties that ensure that there are 200,000 fewer pensioners living in poverty today and this winter ensuring that pensioners get an extra £300 alongside their winter fuel payment to support them through the challenging times with inflation. So, Mr Speaker, our track record is clear. There is one party in this House that has always stood up for our pensioners and that is the Conservative Party. <laughs> Mr Speaker, I don't think we heard a yes there. And you'll imagine my shock, my utter surprise, that we appear to have consensus once again between the Conservative Party and the Labour Party on this most important of issues, despite the promises that were made to the people of Scotland in 2014 and despite the clear statements from the likes of Gordon Brown that the only way to protect your pension is to remain within the UK. How hollow those words are now. So may I ask the Prime Minister, who does he think will scrap the state pension triple lock first? His government or the Labour Party's government? Well, Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I said, thanks to the actions of this government, pensioners in Scotland are receiving record increases in their state pension, £870 this year, extra support with the cost of living this winter. This is the government that introduced and remains committed to the triple lock, but he does raise a good point, Mr Speaker. Pensioners in Scotland should know the reason they can rely on the state pension, not just today but for years to come, because of the strength of our union and the strength of our United Kingdom government. Mr Speaker, 
beautiful Eastbourne is perhaps best known as a top visitor destination, but there is important work being done also to put us on the digital map. Digifest, the first local event of its kind, is coming to the Welcome Building next week and will showcase some pretty stellar uh, local tech talent and open doors of opportunity with an ambition to create 10,000 local jobs in this sector. Would the Prime Minister applaud event organisers Chalk Eastbourne and Switchplane and lay out what this government is doing to make sure Great Britain and Eastbourne is one of the best places in the world to be involved in this continually groundbreaking sector? Mr. Mr Speaker, the government has a mission to make the UK the most innovative economy in the world and the growth of our tech industry is one of the key ways we will achieve that. I am delighted to join my honourable friend in thanking and paying tribute to Chalk Eastbourne uh, for their terrific organisation of the DigiFest. This is a great example of how in local areas we can bring together people to create jobs and opportunity and ultimately drive the growth that our country wants to see. And David. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last year, after being referred by their GP, 22,000 people waited more than four months to start urgent treatment for cancer. The terrible wait, twice as long as the government's maximum 62-day pledge, a cancer target it hasn't met once since 2015. We all have loved ones whose lives have been turned upside down by cancer, and we all know that every day counts. Waiting reduces the chances of survival. So will the Prime Minister tell people waiting anxiously to start their cancer treatment, when will this cancer target be met? Mr Speaker, it is absolutely right that we do everything we can to speed up cancer diagnosis. The pandemic has had a significant impact on cancer recovery. Uh, He will know that before the pandemic we had something like 200,000 cancer referrals a month, but during the pandemic it dropped to around 80,000, and now as those referrals come through that is having an impact. But, Mr Speaker, we are ensuring that there are hundreds more oncologists and radiologists working this year compared to last year. We are rolling out over 160 community diagnostic centres, because the Honourable Gentleman is right that early diagnosis is key. And that is why, Mr Speaker, even though there is work to do, cancer treatment today is at record levels. So we are making progress, and the 62-day backlog is now falling. Uh, lately, uh, recently, the NHS wrote to all trusts, streamlining our targets, clinically advised, and now all the focus is on meeting them as quickly as possible. Chris Green. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In 2017, Bolton Custody Suite was closed by the Police and Crime Commissioner and the then Chief Constable because they had given up on arresting criminals. The new Chief is delivering on the people's priorities so that emergency calls are answered promptly, crimes are uh, investigated, and arrests are made, which means the newly reopened custody suite is always full. Will my right hon. friend join me in thanking Greater Manchester Police? And does he think that this approach ought to catch on around the country? Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, I am delighted with the improvements that have been made in Greater Manchester Police, and indeed the Home Secretary just recently met with the Chief there. They have made significant improvements to answering 999 calls, for example, and have seen almost a 50% year on year increase in the number of charges recorded by the force. I very much welcome their focus on getting the basics on crime and antisocial behaviour right, and they are a model for police forces across the country. Ashley Dalton. Thank you. Thank you.
you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I thank the Prime Minister uh, for his answer to um, my hon the Honourable Member for Aberdeen South, but I'm still confused on this matter uh, because just yesterday the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions said that the pensions uh, triple lock is not sustainable. Um, the Chancellor's economic advisers have suggested that it is time to review the policy, but number 10, when questioned, have said they're committed to it. So, Mr. Speaker, which is it? Yeah, Mr. Speaker, this, this government is committed to the triple lock. It was this government that introduced the triple lock. And she, might want to, she might want to have a word with her own deputy leader, who I don't think provided much clarity on the matter. And remember, Mr. Speaker, I think we all remember when it came to pensions, what we can remember is Gordon Brown's 75p a week increase. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Week in, week out, as I meet businesses in my constituency of Meriden, I hear about how artificial intelligence is transforming the way we work in sectors like life sciences, the automotive sector and financial services. Does my right hon. Friend agree that artificial intelligence will transform the way humanity will live in the 21st century? And through his upcoming Global AI Summit, will he ensure that appropriate guardrails are put in place to protect society as we become world leaders in this technology? Minister. I think, uh, my uh, honourable friend is right to highlight the incredible power of AI to transform not just businesses and our productivity, but also public services in areas like health and education. But we do need guardrails to allow us to make the most of the opportunities of AI and to address risks. Our regulatory approach sets out a responsible and uh, proportionate approach to AI that balances risk and innovation. And I look forward to working with international partners about how we do this at a global level at our upcoming AI Safety Summit. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Luton Airport is trying to massively expand its airport capacity from 18 million passengers per year to a whopping 32 million passengers per year. This will blight the lives of thousands of residents across Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire, and especially in North St Albans, who live under the flight paths, but it will also fly in the face of the advice from the government's own climate advisers. It's been reported that the Prime Minister is getting ready to ignore his climate advisers. Is that true? No, 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 Mr Speaker, but what I would say is my approach to getting to net zero is not one that requires people to give up doing the things that they want to do and enjoying light flying. We, the right thing to be doing is, as we are, investing in new technologies and funding them, things like sustainable aviation fuel, because that's how we'll decarbonise aviation on the transition to net zero, not force people to give everything up. Mr Speaker, when the Prime Minister was Chancellor of the Exchequer, he put the full might of the Treasury behind the 10-year drug strategy, with, with, which, with its adder projects, is now turning lives around across England and Wales. But a key part of that strategy was developing a new approach to possession. He will know from his own constituency that in towns like Andover in mine, possession uh, is of a huge concern, particularly to parents of young people who spend some time in the town centre. Now, the Home Office issued a white paper on this over a year ago. The consultation closed in October last year. So can I ask the Prime Minister to commit that in the forthcoming King's speech we can see some legislation to finally deal with this pernicious problem? Prime Minister. Well, can I thank my honourable friend for all of his work and attention on this area? It was good to work with him on Project Adder in particular. He's right to highlight that drugs destroy lives and families, hitting the most vulnerable in our society the hardest. 
The 10-year drug strategy which he helped put in place is ambitious and backed with a record £3 billion funding. As my right honourable friend highlighted, we have consulted on a new drug possession offences framework, uh, and I can assure him that ministers will keep him and this House updated on future plans. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In the last few hours, I've been contacted by the head teacher of St James's Church of England Primary School in Blackburn. The head teacher is desperately seeking help after a rack survey conducted on the 7th of September was inconclusive. The urgent intrusive inspection that was supposed to follow has not been arranged by the Department of Education. The potentially affected part of the building has been closed off with children crammed into a dining room learning on tables. Staff are unable to access facilities and the whole school has been hugely inconvenienced. The head teacher has been unable <laughs> the head teacher has been unable to meet the Department of Education. Can implore the Prime Minister to get the Secretary of State to Education to investigate this urgently. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, of course, I'm sorry for the disruption at schools as we work hard to identify those affected, but what DfE is doing is fully funding the inspection process, ensuring that we are rapidly now inspecting and surveying all potentially affected schools, uh, paying for that work, but also uh, now with the increase of up to 80 dedicated caseworkers, St James's Primary School, like others, should have a dedicated point of contact to work through those issues. I'll ensure that the Secretary of State and the Department are in touch with the school and the Honourable Member on it for an update. Stephen Hammond. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Personally, I know the stark impact of dementia and the effect it has on the families of our million citizens who live with it. It was my honour last week to sponsor Alzheimer's research here in the UK to highlight the recent progress on a new diagnostic test and new drugs that could be available as early as next January. I welcome dementia's inclusion in the government's major condition strategy, but would my right honourable friend ask his Secretary of State to convene a Dementia Medicines Task Force so that we can take advantage of these progress, uh, this progress in research, and would he consider Alzheimer's research's request for a dementia champion? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, can I start by thanking my honourable friend for his work in this important area. Uh, Regulators are working closely with industry to evaluate new dementia medicines because, of course, we want patients to benefit from rapid access to safe and effective treatments. We're also strongly committed to funding dementia research, including doubling the amount allocated to this to £160 million a year by next year. And last year, we launched the Dame Barbara Windsor Dementia Mission, backed up with new funding, which will work with industry to develop biomarkers, data and digital science innovations, and strengthen our trials in dementia. And I look forward to hearing from him more suggestions about. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. In the 1990s, under the Conservative Government, people were dying uh, because of the length of time they were waiting on NHS waiting lists. In 2023, we've seen an increasing number of people dying while they're on NHS waiting lists before they get treatment. Is the Prime Minister ashamed that people are dying needlessly under his watch? Here, here. Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, of, of course the number of on waiting lists has been impacted significantly uh, by the pandemic, but that's why we've put record funding in place to help address it, including new innovations like surgical hubs, uh, same-day emergency care, virtual wards, 
and such like. But I would gently point out to the honourable gentleman, uh, in, in England, partly the reason that the waiting lists are not coming down as fast as we would like, we would like is because of strike action by doctors, something that, is, something that is supported by him and his colleagues who have stood on the picket lines ensuring that patients cannot get access to care. It is also him and his party that are saying that they will repeal the laws that we have put in place that will guarantee patients safe access to medical treatment in the event of industrial action. So if he wants to make this issue emotional, he should say to people, why is it that he believes patients should be deprived of access to life-serving care because of industrial action? Mr. Close question. Question 11. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we regularly engage with local partners across the West Midlands to uh, gather insight and intelligence on the economy. Earlier this year, we in, uh, initiated the Trailblazer devolution deal, which will help uh, include measures to help businesses thrive. Uh, and I see that just the other week, Business Growth West Midlands was launched by the Mayor, backed with £100 million in funding for business support. Michael Fabricant. I thank the Prime Minister for that answer. And I'm glad to hear that the West Midlands growth continues to expand. However, we do have a problem in Litchfield, and that is road closures, road closures, and we don't know how long they're going to go on for, footpath closures, we don't know how long they're going to go on for, HS2 who are doing these closures, they one hand doesn't know what the other hand is saying. HS2, Mr Speaker, is the most dysfunctional organisation I've ever had to deal with. Will the Prime Minister, in the short term, try and restructure HS2 so it works like a, a company should? And in the longer term, can he save other constituencies by stopping HS2 at the end of phase one? Well, Mr Speaker, I know that the frustration that this is causing to my honourable friend's constituents. I am told that HS2 Limited is prioritising the completion of works underway to keep disruption to a minimum, including roadworks in Litchfield, but I know the Transport Secretary will continue to hold them to account and the company will keep local communities informed about future works. UK bill payers are facing an extra £1 billion because of the government's failure to agree new offshore wind. Mm. With Russia using energy as a weapon, when will the Prime Minister take energy security seriously and protect us from the whims of fossil fuel autocrats? Mr Speaker, we do take energy security seriously. Indeed, we created a brand new department to focus on energy security. But it's a bit rich, it's a bit rich coming from the Labour Party, Mr Speaker, that, that, wants, that wants to cut off our access to homegrown British oil and gas, Mr Speaker, which will increase our reliance on foreign oil and gas, increase our reliance on dictators and exposure to those markets. And as the independent reports have also said, have also said will be bad for the climate, as those imported fossil fuels come with something like two or three times the admissions. Their policy is not just bad for the environment, Mr Speaker, it's bad for our energy security and it's bad for British jobs. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. 
The collapse of a potential rescue deal for Wilco this week brings added urgency to the regeneration of our town centres and driving that forward. Would he agree to meet myself and the leader of Torbay Council to identify ways through government support and planning reform this can be accelerated? Mr Speaker, investment through both arms of our towns fund is part of how we will regenerate and unleash the potential of our town centres. I'm delighted to hear that that investment includes uh, Torbay's £21.9 million town deal and indeed £13.5 million for painting via the Future High Streets Fund. But my honourable friend is right about ensuring that our planning system is friendly for small businesses and that's what we're doing, making it much easier to convert unused shops into cafes, uh, restaurants or indeed new homes. And it's an example of how we're helping our high streets adapt and thrive. Mr Speaker, the new Defence Secretary has been quoted as saying that there could be rack present in military buildings. So can the Prime Minister today guarantee the safety of our military personnel and equipment, or is this yet another ticking time bomb that the government has failed to see coming? Mr Mr. Speaker, actually across the public sector, departments make sure that they follow the technical guidance with regard to RAC, identify uh, and mitigate as required. And as you've seen with example in the NHS, we have moved hospitals affected into the new hospital programme. But also, more generally, this is the government that has invested record sums in defence, £24 billion at the last spending review, the single biggest uplift uh, in defence spending since the end of the Cold War. Philip Davis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's uh, vitally important that we retain, recruit, and protect our prison officers. So, will the Prime Minister agree to stop any prisoner who assaults a prison officer from being released early from jail? This simple measure will be very popular with prison officers, it will be very popular with the public, and you never know, Mr. Speaker, it might even find favour with the parties opposite, who normally think that the only people who should be in prison are people who misgender people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mr Mr. Speaker, prisoners, my honourable friend is right, the prisoners who are violent towards people working and living in prisons will and should face the full consequences of their actions. Uh, I'm pleased that the recent uh, Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Act actually increased the maximum penalty for up to two years' imprisonment for those who assault emergency workers, and that includes prison officers. Uh, and the Ministry of Justice will continue to press for charges for more serious offences, such as ABH, where appropriate. Sarah Owen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. At the weekend, seven global economic powers came together, including India, the US and the EU, to agree a monumental trade agreement, but not the UK. Can the Prime Minister say if he chose not to sign up, because he thought it was presumably a bad deal? Or was the UK left out altogether because this Prime Minister has as weak a reputation on the world stage as he does at home? Mr Mr. Speaker, I think I'm not sure if the uh, Honourable Lady was here for the statement on Monday. I rather assume not. I think what what she's describing wasn't a trade deal, so first of all, she should get her facts right. Uh, And as I explained on Monday, as I explained on Monday, there are lots of different ways that countries will participate in solving international issues. Uh, At the same conference that she mentioned, the same summit, we announced a record investment to the Green Climate Fund. It is the single biggest investment by this country to help 
help uh, with international climate finance, and it was warmly welcomed by countries at the summit who can see that the UK is taking a leadership role in help helping countries adapt and mitigate the impacts of climate change. London Clark Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week we were hit by the devastating news that all Wilco stores would be closing, meaning the loss of 12,500 jobs. And Bassett Lorham works up at the home of Wilco's HQ and a distribution centre with 1,500 jobs set to go. But Wilco has been mismanaged for years. And in the last decade, over 77 million has been paid out to shareholders. And recently, the HQ was sold for 48 million before being leased back. So can the Prime Minister reassure my constituents and all those nationally affected by the demise of Wilco that he and the government will do everything in their power to help support people into jobs and make sure their redundancies and pensions are protected and we will take whatever action is available to us to hold the ownership to account? Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Mr Speaker, as my honourable friend knows, some of the topics that he raised will be commercial matters uh, for the company, but I do know that this is a concerning time for workers at Wilco. My right honourable friend, the Business Secretary, is keeping close to developments, and we have already started supporting those who have been made redundant, and we stand ready to support others to the fullest of our abilities. Lillian Greenwood. The head of the Army, General Sir Patrick Sanders, has said the UK must forge an army capable of fighting alongside our allies and defeating Russia in battle. So why is the government still pushing ahead with further cuts of 10,000 troops to the British Army? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, again, I say to the Honourable Lady, uh, this is the government that has put a record amount into our armed forces, £24 billion. We remain the second largest investor in our defence in NATO. Uh, and as we saw at the NATO summit, other countries look to us for leadership. Uh, how, the, how the armed forces allocate that record funding is a matter for Chiefs to make sure that we have the capabilities we need to meet the threats of today. That, that is a decision that they will make and we will back them. But the, no one can doubt our commitment to funding properly the armed forces and ensuring that we keep this country safe. Richard Graham. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has rightly said that democracies like the UK, not authoritarian regimes, should lead the fight on global challenges like development and climate change. So because the links between failed regimes, climate change and the numbers of asylum seekers are growing, would my right honourable friend ensure that doing de development democratically is a key theme in the White Paper on International Development? And would he also visit the Westminster Foundation's Garden of Democracy exhibition here in Parliament to highlight our promotion of democratic values abroad? Prime Minister. Uh, can I thank my honourable friend for highlighting the exhibition in Portcullis House, and I know members will have heard his invitation. Uh, we are consulting widely on the detail of the White Paper on International Development and what it should say, including specifically the role of democracy in development, and I'd encourage all interested organisations and individuals to share their ideas through the public consultation. Can I just say thank you to Sir John Benger and his final PMQs and, and his loyal service to the House. We do appreciate it. Thank you, Sir John.